Welcome to this week's edition of Sunday Morning Live from Fresh Fire Church. Today's message from Pastor Adam will encourage and strengthen your walk with Christ. If you would like to be a partner with Fresh Fire Church for $15 a month or more, become our patron on Podbean or visit freshfirechurch.net. And now, let's join the service. Thank the Lord for that. Anyway, ready for the word, Matthew 13. We've been looking at the verses 24 through 30 with this series. It was supposed to be a one Sunday sermon. And it's taken us three or four. I think this is part three. I don't know. I really didn't get to preach long last week. So you got a a bit of it last week. But uh, timing is everything has been the the name of the series uh, that was to be a message. And now it's been a series. Timing is everything. And I told you by the time we got through it, you would understand the enemy, why he comes. And you should be able to spot him when he raises his head in the midst of your life and family. It should also help you to identify some people and things as weeds. Like I said last week, some things will look like a flower and then you realize it never blooms. Amen. And some people are like that. They will appear to be one thing in your life, but they're really just a weed. Uh Uh-huh, depleting, and they've come to just make it harder for you. They haven't come necessarily to take you out or to kill you or anything. They've just come to make life harder for you. I've always insisted there are some people that just come into my life just to make it hard. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of you say in-laws will do that. Yes, they can sometimes. Uh, but, but just people in church people, sometimes you, I just insist sometimes there are just some people that enjoy just being difficult. They just want to be different. They just want to ruffle feathers, just, just want to uh, cause turmoil and, 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 and frustrate people, right? Some people are just like sandpaper, right? But, but what I'm learning and what we've learned through the Word is that, that often it, 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 that they're, they're just weeds. And sometimes we want to be able to deal with them and we want to be able to remove them from our life. But where we're going to get today is that sometimes it's best that we do nothing. Hallelujah. Before I get ahead of myself, let's read Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Matthew 13, verse 24. <clears throat> Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Somebody say, until the harvest. In other words, let it alone till I say so. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. So over the last couple of weeks, we've laid this out, giving you several things for the sake of time. I won't review the last couple of weeks 
other than to give you the first two points that we did finally cover. As a reminder, in case you missed them, the first one was, it is naive to think that the planning of good exempts us from the presence of bad. It's naive to think that the planning of good exempts us from the presence of bad. That was, that was week one, I think. Last week, we finally got to cover point two, which was wherever there is great potential for harvest, the enemy will always earmark the spot for calamity. He will always earmark the spot for calamity. And remember I gave you that analogy that somebody told me about a restaurant. I haven't gone there, but I marked it in my phone as a favorite so that when I'm in that area, I can visit again, right? In the same way that, that the enemy often earmarks you and I for calamity. He earmarks you and I so, so that we're marked because he identifies greatness in us before we ever recognize that it's there. And so he marks it so he knows it's a place to come back to to cause issue and to cause struggle. Amen. And so, so he earmarks us. And so I, I, I don't want to tarry there too, too much in, in a review. That's why you, you probably should go catch it if you missed it because I, I, I want to make sure you get all the revelation you can out of it. But, but, but the only reason that where, we, where we left off last week was the only reason that... that, that the enemy planted the, the weeds among the wheat. The only reason it, that attack has been launched is because you are wheat. People often say, why, why do things happen in the manner they do? Why, why are they happening in, in the way that they are, right? That, that we're just not, and, and, I, and I laid it out for you last week, that we're not just fighting a demon, we're fighting a system that's been lodged against us. Remember when I began the series, I said I started, I kept seeing roots, in prayer, I kept seeing roots and roots, and we'll get to it here in just a few moments, but God really started revealing what you and I are really against is a system that is against us. We're, uh, uh, it's not just an attack, it's a system that's lodged against us, and the only reason that it has been launched is because we are wheat. The enemy seeks to corrupt the environment where God has seed in the ground. Did you hear that? The enemy seeks to corrupt the environment where God has seed in the ground. So anywhere where God has seed in the ground, the enemy wants to corrupt the ground. We, we dealt with that a little bit last week, right before we left, that the, how the enemy wants to corrupt the ground, how he wants to get in there. We'll expand on that a little bit. And I told you, just like the Garden of Eden, wherever God is planting something, Satan will always be slithering. That wherever God is planning something, if he's planting something in your life, if he's doing it in a, in a community, if he's doing it in a family, if he's doing it in your house, Satan will always be slithering. And I showed you that Satan was slithering in the text. That's the final area we dealt with last week, that Satan was slithering in the text as we read it. He, he was waiting for an opportunity. And so wherever God is planting something, Satan will be slithering. But I have other news for you. We have to be reminded that we are planted. Say, I am planted. Yeah, I, I, I have already been planted. That, that means that Satan has been slithering in the garden. See, if you're planted, then you don't be naive in thinking that the enemy isn't watching and slithering. In fact, the Bible says he's always, always roaming to seeking whom he may devour, Right? So he's always sort of slithering in the garden. The enemy is, is, is always stealthy. The enemy is always cunning. 
the enemy is, is always, always waits till you and I are asleep or not paying attention because even the enemy knows that timing is everything. Notice in the text, the enemy waited until nobody was looking. The enemy waited until, uh, and he often waits until you and I are at a place of vulnerability. That's why often one thing will happen right after the other. And, and somehow we are surprised every time the enemy shows up and begins to attack. But the enemy always waits until you are at a place of vulnerability. So when you're vulnerable, you should be paying attention. Be looking for the enemy to be slithering up in your, your current mess because he wants to complicate it and make it messier. Right? The, the enemy will always wait until you're in a place of desperation. The enemy will always wait until your rent is backed up. And then something else will happen. That's why we can't think it's strange. When, when we came in and it was 82 degrees in here, and it didn't, no matter what we did with the thermostats, it didn't stop heating, right? The enemy will attack the church when we're already facing one, two, or three other things. And so he'll do it a, a, as a means of what I'm already trying to, to point out to you, that he'll do it when, when, when you're already, already vulnerable, it's going to get us into our point three, so bear with me. Because the enemy does these things to try to get you to respond. The enemy wants you to react. He wants you to respond to it. And you and I always feel like we need to take some things into our own hands. And so the enemy always tries to hit you when you're already in a crisis. Because the enemy understands that timing is everything. Now, when we normally preach on seed time and harvest, 55% of the church begins to not pay attention because seed time and harvest usually is a message about giving. And it's not popular. Nobody wants to hear it. And yet then you wonder why you have nothing. Mm. I see, I told you, 55% always it tune you out when you start talking about it. But see, the way the Bible reads is you can't receive anything if you first don't give something. And so the enemy understands that timing is everything. And so isn't it just like the enemy that when you are already hit in an area, he'll hit you again because he wants you to begin to doubt that God is who he says he is. He wants you to begin to doubt that his word is true. But anybody who has ever given anything knows that, that God is a God that is faithful. And that when you give, the Bible says that he'll give back to you, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. To, where, to the point that his word declares that you and I don't have room enough to receive it. Hallelujah. But the enemy will often hit you when you were in a crisis to get you to doubt the very word, the very foundation of who God says he is. And so that's why the text says that while men slept, in other words, that the enemy showed up and began to plant in the dark. He was sowing in the soil in the dark. In other words, they didn't get the opportunity to see him planting or what he was planting. But he covered it, he was covered by the darkness of night, and his craftiness was hidden under the soil. And when they woke up the next morning, I've alluded to this over the last few weeks, but here we're finally getting to it. When they woke up the next morning, they did not see any difference. That's why I said to you that that that, that when weeds start growing, you don't really know they're there until they sprout through the top of the soil. The same thing's true here. While they slept, the enemy came and planted weeds among them, 
the next morning they woke up and they didn't notice that there was anything different. They didn't see any difference. Hallelujah. But, but so they didn't see anything different the next morning. They didn't know that when they, they didn't even know that when they got up and they began watering the wheat that day, that while they were watering the wheat, they were also watering the weeds. They didn't know what was underneath the ground. They didn't know what was growing in the system underground. Hallelujah. So the, the infrastructure underground has been established before the wheat even comes up. The infrastructure underground is often established before the wedding day or before you and I ever get our degree or before we get called into ministry, or before anything, a major event happens in our life. And, and so we end up fighting a system because there are things that are often growing under the surface that we don't see until they first break through the ground. See, that's why there are some things that we're seeing happening in our nation and around the globe that we're seeing happen now, and suddenly some people are surprised at the level of it. No, it was always there. It was just growing and percolating under the system. We're just seeing it break through the surface. Are you hearing me? But it was always a part of our system. The corruption in government was always there. Racism was always there. It was always being built in and built into the system. Are you hearing me? And so, But we'll just see it when it finally breaks through the ground. Hallelujah. So what we are fighting is not just a weed. We're often fighting a system. So all I could see in prayer was tangled up roots. And so that's why in the text, are you still with me? The Bible says, he, he, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like. That's what he said in the text. In other words, the war is underground. The tangle is underground. We're often trying to fight on top of the soil, but the system is under the ground. See, we often want to fight flesh and blood. We often think that people are our problem, but the system is underground. That's why he told them, don't, don't pull the weeds until harvest day, because if you do, you'll, you'll, you'll mess up the system that is working for you, because what is working against you is all growing up within what is working for you. And so you end up hurt what's working for you by pulling what's working against you. Are you still with me? Hallelujah. So we're trying to fight what's on top of the soil, but the system is underground. We're trying to fight the flesh, but really it's, it's, it's happening in the spirit world. That's going to bring me to point number three. Hallelujah. We finally get to point three. For all you note takers, number three is corruption and destruction are two different things. Oh, hallelujah. Corruption, get ready. Somebody say to your neighbor, get ready. I know we got lots of people out, but to everybody online, get ready. They're, they're giving high fives and shouting, I am planted online. I love to see them participating online. I, I, I like to know they're paying attention. Amen, that they're not just have us playing and cleaning the house or washing dishes or, or, or whatever, that we're decorating for Christmas, that they're hearing the word of God. I, I love to see that. Amen. See, they're saying, get ready. Get ready. Amen. Number three, corruption and destruction are two different things. He could not destroy the wheat. Hear me. He could not destroy the wheat. So all he could do is corrupt the environment in which the wheat was coming. Oh, see, some of you need to get a hold of what I'm telling you. When I say he could not destroy 
the wheat. So all he could do is corrupt the environment in which the wheat was growing. See, he couldn't stop you from coming up, but he just wanted to make it harder for you. The enemy couldn't stop you from getting where you are today. But what he has tried to do is make it harder for you. See, that's where some of you are missing it. Some of you get discouraged and and get frustrated with God because you think he's not doing enough. But but see, you're you're blaming the wrong person. God has planted you. And it's just that while you weren't paying attention or, or, or while you were trying to ha- had your, your toe in both worlds, the enemy came in and planted wheat among you uh, or plant, planted weeds among you as wheat to make it harder for you. Life is hard because of what the enemy is doing working against you. But notice what I said. He could not destroy the wheat. The enemy could not destroy the wheat. He couldn't stop you from coming up and being who God has called you to be. He just is trying to make it hard enough for you that, 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 oh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. He's just trying to make it harder for you so so that you'll take matters into your own hands. In other words, he can't take you out. He can't do some of the things to you that we've been taught to believe in the church. The enemy cannot kill your destiny, only you can. He cannot kill your future, only you can. And I'm going to show you how you can. The enemy cannot kill what God has ordered. Because the enemy is not more powerful than God. And anybody who's been taught to believe otherwise, you best go back and read your Bible. Because otherwise, you're trying to say that that, that the enemy is omnipresent, that he's omnipotent, that he's all of those things that only God is. Amen. And, and, And then you're giving credit to his power and his ability and what the legions of demons can do. But he cannot kill what God has ordered. The enemy cannot kill what God has ordained. He cannot even curse what God has blessed amen i said the enemy cannot curse what god has blessed he cannot he cannot if god if god calls it blessed or god calls you blessed then you are blessed thank you lois amen i said if god calls you blessed then you are blessed if god calls you loved then you are loved you have to recognize all the enemy comes to do it's to make it harder. He wants to make it harder for you to believe that you are loved. He wants to make it harder for you to believe that you are blessed. He wants to make it harder for you to believe that you are prosperous. He wants to make it harder for you to believe that you are healed. Are you hearing me? He can't stop you from being healed, but he can be a hindrance to cause you to start doubting, amen, by making it harder. Are you understanding? So whatever God's word says that I am, I am. It may not have manifested yet. I am wheat when I am, I, I am seed when I am in the ground that seed becomes what wheat and that wheat becomes bread and that what we laid out last week from seed to wheat to bread but all along I can be in a different stage but I am still what God has planted me to be I, I could only be in seed form but I am still what God has said that I am I'm seed and if I'm seed I will become wheat and if I'm weed I will become bread amen you might be bread already that's great how awesome is that for you don't, but don't judge me while I'm still seed don't judge me while I'm still wheat Th- that's where we go wrong in the body of Christ some of you I get frustrated with people sometimes and because of how they are how they behave or their ignorance or whatever but I have to remind myself sometimes they're just seed 
And so I can't judge them too harshly if they're just seed and here I am walking around like wheat. Or here you are walking around like oh, the bread that you are. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? The enemy tries to complicate things to get you and I to, to, to believe. Remember, corruption and destruction are two different things. Somebody shout, I'm blessed. Hallelujah. I'm blessed. You need to know that going into this week. I'm blessed. You might have to sit at a table with most of the people you don't like, but I am blessed. Hallelujah. You might be surrounded by, by people that, that are, are messing with, with your blessing, but, but you are still blessed. Amen. You might have to sit down and talk to people who, who have attacked you and talked about you, but you are still blessed. They cannot stop what God has said you already are. Hallelujah. They may be part of trying to slow it down and, and pollute the environment or dilute what God's doing, but whatever God said over you, you already are, you will be. Hallelujah. So I'm blessed. So since corruption and since destruction are not the same thing, and because he couldn't destroy my blessing, he wants to corrupt my environment. I need you to understand this. Since corruption and destruction are not the same thing, and since he couldn't destroy my blessing, he wants to corrupt my environment. Let me put it in a way you might understand. Some of you ask, why do things happen the way that they do in my life? We already answered the question a couple weeks ago, why bad things happen to good people? But sometimes we ask the question, why do things happen the way they do in my life? They happen like that because hell knew you were already blessed. Now, that may sound simple, but I need you to, I, I was praying, we were praying in the back that the Lord would give you revelation through this word. Don't, don't misinterpret what I just said as being simple. But there is really deep revelation to what I just told you. The reason that things happen the way they do in your life, that they happen that way because hell knew you are already blessed. So start connecting the dots. The enemy comes to, to corrupt the environment. Because he can't stop you from being blessed, he comes to corrupt the environment to make it harder for you to walk in that blessing. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? Oh, God, I, I hope somebody gets this because it's better than what I think you're, you're, you're catching. He, he, cannot, he cannot stop you from being blessed. All he can do is corrupt the He cannot destroy me to the point of not being blessed. But what he can and has the ability to do is, 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 is corrupt the environment enough to where it causes me to start believing I am not blessed. To cause me to believe that God is doing it for everybody else but me. Oh, do you really think you're all that special? That God just decided and chose to overlook you? Oh, come on, somebody. You, you need to, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Amen. You have to be able to recognize the plan of the enemy at work. He comes to d d corrupt your environment because he cannot destroy you. See, we, we should be giving God shouts and glory and dancing on top of that word when you understand the enemy cannot destroy you. The Bible says, yes, then John 10 and 10, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. 
He does. But because you're God's, that's why it says, but I, Jesus, have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Because if you are bought with the blood of Jesus, the enemy cannot destroy you. He can huff and he can puff, but he cannot blow your house down. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you now? Because I am his and he is mine, I am blessed. You can't touch this. You've heard me do it before. You can't, come on, y'all. Remember the 90s? Can't touch this. Nah, 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 nah. I must have been the only one that lived in the world at a time. We have to remind the enemy, hey, you can't touch this. You can try to corrupt my environment. You can try to frustrate me by doing that, but you cannot take me out. You, you cannot do that. All you can do is corrupt my environment, but you cannot destroy me because I am covered by the blood of Jesus. I am his and he is mine. So the reason the enemy has attacked you the way that he has is because hell knew you were already blessed. Thank you, Lord. So the only thing he can do is corrupt your environment. And so what he has been doing is working underground. The enemy often, see, when you and I finally see the enemy show up and we, we recognize that he is attacked, he had been working underground. It's just you didn't know it. He, he was working while you thought you were friends with them. He was working while you thought you were going to be okay. He was working while you thought your finances were okay. He was working while you thought your marriage was good. But all the while underground, he was growing and building a system that would catch you off guard and surprise you. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And so he was working underground. He was working in the root system. He was working before you ever became fruitful. To try to, to, to corrupt the environment to keep you from becoming more fruitful. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So he was working underground before you and I ever got the call of God in our life. He was working in the root system. Before you were ever recognized, he was working underground. So the devil was at work before you knew it. Because the devil believes in seeds more than the saints. Oh, I have to say it again. So the devil was working underground before you knew it because even the devil believes in seeds more than the saints. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Yes, the, even the devil believes in seed more than the saints. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the reason I know that is because if, if God's people believed in seed, offerings would be no trouble. I mean, you know, hallelujah. In every church, offerings will be no trouble. Because the Bible says if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. See, I told you, the devil believes in seeds more than the saints. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. The Bible goes on to say you will know the tree by the fruit that it bears. You, you and I will know a giver by the fruit that it bears. In other words, if you and I don't put nothing in, you're going to get nothing out. The same thing's true in your marriage. If you put nothing in, you'll get nothing out. The same thing is true in your worship. Some people are like, oh, I just don't know why they sing that much. Because you don't put nothing in, you don't get nothing out. In everything in life, the law of reciprocity, 
The law of reciprocity works. Whatever you give will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will come back to you. That's the law of reciprocity. When you and I give to God, it will come back to you. And so if you give sparingly, that's why you're getting little. When you give lots, think about this. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I was having a discussion with somebody, and I thought about our church. And back, uh, how many years ago was it now? Uh, 13 years ago. Uh, I can't, I, yeah, something like that. 13 years ago, uh, our Fresh Fire Church started, and we had rent to rent to own cameras. Because when we, we launched, the Lord said to me that we were to live stream, and that was before live stream was even known what it was. And so we found some rickety old website, and we had a rickety old camcorder, and it was rent to rent to own, and then we borrowed somebody else's, and, and then we, 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 we didn't have no money. We had old bar uh, uh, chairs, and they were mismatched, and they were gold and black, and then we had some folding ones, and then we had bar stools in the back because we didn't have enough chairs. And we even had the, the bar still in the building. And so when we had fellowship meals, we would literally sit at the bar they used to drink at to have our fellowship meals. I, I know uh, that's too much for some of you. And we had nothing. We, even the floor, you, we didn't have plush carpet or anything. It was concrete. And so we ended up going to Ollie's and buying a big 10 by 10 pieces of carpet so that when people were falling under the power of God, they weren't having to lay on the cold concrete. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We didn't even have stuff to cover them up when they fell. So we had to just take material. and I mean, we had nothing. Nothing. We were broke. We didn't have fancy projectors and big expensive equipment. No, we we had an old rented uh, uh, system from from West Virginia that I spent fifty bucks a week on because we didn't have any equipment. Are you hearing me? And and a little keyboard about this big. Amen. But now we have five or six of those things, and we we, we didn't have nothing. I'm just trying to tell you we were broke. Uh, we didn't have a fancy projector. We had an overhead projector with transparencies. How many remember those? Right. I, I mean, that's how poor we were, and and yet we even thought. We we were big time because we had transparencies and the words were on the wall. Amen. We were broke. When we first started and we were in the Super 8 Motel and we had an offering of like 80 bucks, I was like, the rent is covered. Because when they, we didn't even bring in enough, the pastor had to pay for it out of his pocket. And there were many a Sundays we didn't even have enough money to pay for that. And that room was, was, was probably as big as this platform. It was tiny. And somehow the first Sunday we had 18 people in there plus, I don't know, I think a guitar player and me. I, I don't know. It, it, was, it was horrible. It was bad. I'm trying to tell you, we were broke. We had nothing. And from the beginning, we were just givers. And so a few weeks in, that's when the first building was given. And we just went in and we started having church with beer signs on the walls. And as we were taking them off, there were cigarette stains all over. And it stunk to high heavens. I mean, it took a long time to get it out. We painted everything that could be painted to try to get rid of the smell, right? And we were still broke. Amen. Some of us were buying paint supplies out of our own pocket because this church was poor. Amen. Sometimes I still think we're poor, but then I have to remember the how we're blessed. Anyway, we had nothing, but then slowly God began to bring increase, and slowly we got chairs given to us that actually matched. And they were ugly, but they matched. They were orange and wooden, but they matched. They came out of the church of God on Route 40, and then when they got rid of all their orange and yellow pews, they said, hey, you know, you're poor. Do you want these? I said, sure. So they brought them down. They gave them to us after they had given them to the Barclaysburg Church of the Brethren. The Barclaysburg Church of the Brethren felt sorry for me for all the hell they put us through over the years and, so, and persecution they had put me through. And so they said, hey, we're closing. God's done with us. So here you want what, what we can have? I said, sure, bring them down. So they brought them down. They were a blessing to us, and don't you know. Then, then uh, anyway, I, I could tell you story after 
character story. The point is, is that we were broke, busted, and disgusted. We were, the power of God was moving, but all the while that, 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 that God was faithful. And so uh, we've always been a church of giving. And so from the moment we launched, we had missions. When we didn't even have money to give to missions, we were given to people. When, when we brought Michael Rowan in for the first time, we didn't have no money. He, I, 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 he, he and I were chatting on Twitter. He said, I want to come to your church. I said, you don't want to come to my church. He said, yeah, I want to come to your church. I said, seriously, you don't want to come to my church. I said, when I last saw you in Florida, what did we preach to like 10,000 people? I said, you know, you don't want to come to my church. He said, but I follow you on Twitter. He said, I really like what's going on. I said, I'm telling you, you don't want to come to my church. And so he ends up coming to Pennsylvania. I go to South Hills to see him. We talk, whatever. He says, I seriously want to come to church. How's March? I said, oh, I don't know. That's a bad time of year. I said, he said, I really want to come to your church. I said, no. He said, why don't you want me to come to your church? I said, because you're not used to what we are. He said, well, I've watched you online. He said, I'm used to what you are. You guys, you new church. Like I said, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, I said, there's not thousands in the auditorium. I said, we can make it look good on TV. But trust me when I tell you it's not a massive cathedral. He said, well, I never thought that it was. I said, well, you don't want to come to my church. He said, I want to come to your church. Finally, I caved and I said, oh, Lord, I'm going to be so embarrassed. So we, we pay for his plane tickets. I drive down in my Dodge Avenger. This man who travels the world, and when I had last seen him in Pensacola, Florida, drove up in one of those, um, oh, God, what was it? Uh, fancy, I don't know, it was a couple hundred thousand dollar vehicle, I can't remember, it was like a stretch, anyway, pulls up, and I was just like, I got to pastor this church, and I go to the airport, pick him up in my Dodge Avenger, thinking I should probably pick him up in an Escalade, that's what most of these preachers expect. And we get in the car, bring him down. He says, why don't we stop at the church? I said, no. I said, we'll just, mind you, we were at the bar. I said, no, we'll just go there. He said, but I really want to drop off the product table, and maybe we'll just go and set it up. I said, well, there's people there finishing, setting up stuff for tomorrow. I said, you know, I, I don't want to. You know, I don't want you to have to deal with him. He said, no, let, let's really. He said, that way I don't have to take it. I was trying not to get in there too soon. So we pull up, and he says, we're here. I said, yes, we're here. I said, I told you. I said, I told you you don't want to come to this church. He said, no, I definitely want to come to this church. He said, it's, but it, it's definitely not what I expected. I said, I thought it wouldn't be. And so we walk in. He starts setting his table, and he's like, you know, this is all right. This is all right. And I mean, I'm thinking, you liar. You liar. You liar. Anyways, we get through the weekend. He comes, and he goes to every church for a free will offering. I knew because we were friends what his ministry needed just to be able to pay their bills. And we get through the weekend, and our church was always a giving church, especially at that time. We were broke. We had mismatched chairs, but we were a giving church. And I just said, Lord, help them to give. Crowds were sort of all over the place. We had, I think, one night it was like packed out, and then the next morning it was sort of like what happened to everybody. And then the final night, I think it was a Monday night, uh, it was okay. And so I was really concerned, and we, we got done for the weekend, and they counted up the offering. I said, well, where are we at? And I knew they needed $3,400. And I was nervous, and I thought, Lord, i got to take this man to dinner yet. I'm telling you the truth. 
Because when you bring in, people think it's cheap to bring in people to preach. It ain't cheap. You got to pay for the hotel. You got to feed them. Glory to God. You got to send them with enough to keep the ministry going. That's why people think the gospel is free. Yeah, but it costs to do it. All right. And so, literally, I'm like, I'm sweating bullets thinking, oh, God, please, let there be enough that I can feed this man. Because if this card gets declined, I'm going to melt in my chair, you know. And so we go, and I think a couple other guys went with us. And I get the uh, amount, and I knew he needed $3,400. That's what it cost the ministry to operate for the week. And I said, God, please. And we ended up getting the offering. And I looked, and I said, is that right? And I said, yeah. And I said, are you sure that's right? And I said, yeah. I said, did you count it a couple times? Yes, we counted. And the total is $3,600. We surpassed what we needed by $200. Are you hearing me? And so that might not matter to you, but when you're a church that has nothing and you got mismatched chairs and a rented sound system, and, and I, we didn't even have a cute pulpit at the time. I think, I think it was a music stand still. I, I don't remember. I just remember we had n literally nothing. Nothing. And then over the years, how God has increased us. And we didn't even own that building. And, and how God blessed us and increased us. And how we went from having that building given to us to use until God has given us multiple buildings. And now we have two churches in town and a couple of houses and a bunch of empty lots. And, and then, we, yes, we still have the school and all those things. My point is, is the enemy always came to try to corrupt the environment because he could not, or, or you hear me, he could not destroy what, what God was doing. And so be, God has always blessed us because we never sowed spare when we didn't have it to give we didn't just stop giving we kept giving are you hearing me when when when, when people needed our help when, when giving was down when when covid hit and every church was up again i mean our church was up against it we're still up against it sometimes we don't stop giving because finances get tight we don't stop giving because the volunteer base starts dwindling are you hearing me we don't stop giving because things are difficult because the bible says if you sow sparingly you will reap sparingly you and i will know the tree by the fruit that it bears Amen. And so, in other words, if you and I don't put nothing in, we'll get nothing out. Hallelujah. As long as the earth remains, the Bible says there will be seed, time, and harvest. Everything in this life grows by seed. Grass grows because of seed. Apples grow because of seed. Watermelons grow by seed. You came by seed. Everything comes by seed. And so, Satan knew that if he was going to enter your area, he had to plant seeds. Did you hear that? Satan knew if he was going to enter your area, he had to plant seeds. That's why I said Satan believes in seeds more than the saints do. Satan understands the power of a seed. Satan knew what you doubt. Satan knew, I'm going to say it again, Satan knew what you doubt. So the roots that I saw, the roots that I saw, the twisting of the roots is the infrastructure, is, is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Watch this. I kept asking God, Lord, why do I keep seeing roots? God, why are we continuing to see these? The, the roots that I saw, that twisting of the roots is the infrastructure. It's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Notice this. The men didn't even know the weeds were there until the wheat sprung up. And then the weeds sprung up also. The men came to the master and said, from where did the weeds come? Where did this come from? Or, or, or how sometimes you and I say, why am I like this? 
trying to overcome yourself, trying to overcome something about yourself, when you ask the question, why am I like this? Where did this come from? We'll ask the question, why is it so hard for me to get things through my thick head? Or some of you ask that about somebody else. Why is it so hard for you to get this through my thick head? Or, or why can I not just shut my mouth? Why do I have to be so abrasive? And while you've been thinking something is wrong with other people, or the people just misunderstand you, sometimes it's really just that we're mean. We're just plain mean. What I've learned is it's not so much that, 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 that I misunderstand other people. What I've learned is that it's not that I misunderstand them. They triggered me. They triggered me because there's a system in place. I told you I'd start bringing it all together. We know what the system is and who planted it. But why did he plant it? Why did he plant the system? And if you don't understand why he planted it, you'll never learn how to overcome it. So you must learn this, why he planted it. At first glance, when we read the text, you'd think the weed was planted to kill the wheat. But the truth is the weed and the wheat can grow up side by side one another. We've already established that. We've already established that he cannot kill the wheat. If it was wheat when it went in the ground, it will be, it will be wheat when it comes out of the ground. If it was weed when it went in the ground, it will be weed when it comes out of the ground. So if the weeds didn't kill the wheat, why did he plant it? If the weeds cannot kill the wheat, then why did he plant it? I've already sort of alluded to this. See, if he couldn't kill what God has blessed, if he couldn't change my wheat to weed, why did the enemy slither and put the weed beside the wheat? Watch this. Why did he slither in? Why does the enemy slither into your life to try to corrupt the environment? Why does he do it? If he can't ultimately destroy you, we've already established he cannot destroy you. He cannot curse what God has blessed. All he can do is make it harder. And so then why does he come in if he can't ultimately take you out? Why does he do it? See, the temptation is not in the substance of the wheat and the weed but in the decision of how you handle it. The whole mystery is in this question when they said, from whence does it come? The master said the enemy planted it. And he said, should we go and pull up the weeds? And he said, no. He said, leave it alone. The master knew there was a system underground. That there was such a system underground and a tangling of the roots that if you pull up the weeds, you will kill the wheat. Which helps me to then answer the question, then why did he come? Now I see why the enemy is trying to, what, what the enemy is trying to get me to do. The enemy comes and plants weed among the wheat because he's trying to get me to take matters into my own hands and try to solve the problem. 
It all comes from the question from whence did it come? Do you want us to go and pull the weeds? And the master said, no. Because if you pull the weeds outside of harvest season, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, you will kill the harvest. That's why he came. The enemy comes to corrupt your environment so that you will begin to take things and matters into your own hands and try to solve your own problem. In other words, the Holy Ghost wants me to tell you to leave it alone. When we started this in the, in the, in the message, A War Between Two Worlds, that was one of the points that I, I pointed out to you was there are some things you and I need to just learn to leave alone. The Holy Ghost wants me to remind you today to leave it alone. If you're uncomfortable, you may be uncomfortable, but leave it alone. You might be frustrated, but leave it alone. You can even be aggravated, but leave it alone. You can be afraid, but he wants you to leave it alone. You can be tired, but leave it alone. You have to have enough faith sometimes to just leave it alone. I'm talking about the power of doing nothing. See, this is where some of you fail. This is why some of you are never getting ahead. This is why some of us have never entered into what is a real harvest season. Because you can't just do nothing. You're always putting your hands on what God said leave alone. Woo! You're always trying to put your hands on people and, and your family and things and money. And when money's tight, you take it in your own hands instead of just doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord. Letting God demonstrate to you that he is who he says he is. If he said he's a provider, then let him show up and be a provider. Because every time you try to find a plan B, you're canceling out the ability for God to prove who he is. Every time you step in and try to control your marriage instead of letting God deal with that person, you're not letting God demonstrate his ultimate power and how he can change hearts and lives. Stop it. You and I have to have the faith to just leave it alone, have the faith to do nothing. I'm talking about the power of doing nothing. Because listen, it takes more faith to do nothing than it does to do something. I said it takes more faith to do nothing than it does to do something. Because the enemy can't, can't curse you, but he is trying to use you to curse yourself. Oh, that's good. I said, the enemy cannot curse you, but he's trying to use you to get you to curse yourself. Why? Because if you step in and do something where God is saying, do nothing, look at what would have happened. Had those, the, the, those servants had gone out and pulled the weeds, they would have cursed their own harvest. You and I often put our hands and our mouths and, and on things that God's trying to say, leave it alone. When you get frustrated, you're trying to do something so you won't be frustrated. When you get your heart broke, you're trying to do something. When, when someone says something that irritates you, you always have to have a response. Sometimes the best response is nothing at all. You're cursing your own harvest, and so God can't bring forth the harvest in your I'm preaching for somebody today. You, sometimes God can't bring the harvest forth in your life because you keep aborting your own harvest. You, you already pulled it up. Woo, that's good. Get out of the way and stop trying to be God. 
Stop trying to solve your own problems. Who do you think you are? Or is God not God? Is God not God enough and big enough that he will do what he says he will do? Listen to me. If the principle here is, is that the devil can't kill what God has ordained. If we can just get a hold of that, if if the enemy cannot kill you, if he cannot destroy you, if all he can do is make it hard, then it's going to be hard right and if you do something if you step out of alignment if you step in and put your hands on or your mouth on or your attitude on something god is saying leave alone all you're doing is is as now you are you are th- aborting the harvest at least if you would do nothing it might be hard but the harvest will come but every time see you are getting in your own way I said, you're getting in your own way. And that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to take matters into your own hands to get you to try to solve your own problems. Do you have enough faith to leave it alone? Wow. I'm telling you, this is good today. It's good today. Do you have enough faith to leave it alone? The power of doing nothing. Because if God said it's wheat, it is wheat. If God said you are blessed, you will be blessed. That's why the Bible says stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do nothing and you will see the salvation of the Lord. Leave it alone and do nothing. Stand still and hold your peace. The battle belongs to the Lord. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. See, some of us would have a harvest in our marriage, in our life, in our spiritual life if you would just learn the power of doing nothing. Do you know how many times I've learned, had to learn to bite my tongue? I gave you the example of the last few weeks. Every time we get attacked, man, people started trashing us online again this week because of our food distribution line and traffic and all this stuff. And you know how many times I wanted to just type right back at him and said, you bunch of morons and blah, 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 blah. You wouldn't have nothing if it wasn't for you. I don't see any other church give. I mean, I wanted to defend us. The Lord said, do nothing. So I said, nothing. Every critical message that came through, no reply. Because no, any reply would be not good enough. Are you hearing me? Sometimes you and I have got to learn the power of doing nothing with your spouse is just being used of the devil to corrupt your environment do nothing don't respond to them let them be a devil all by themselves all you are going to do is uproot the harvest trust that God is God enough to deal with them now we understand why the enemy came it's a booby trap it's a booby trap because if you try, if you try to get out of it, you kill your own destiny. If they had pulled the weeds, they would have killed the wheat. The devil can't curse you, but he is trying to get you to curse yourself. How many times have we cursed ourselves? So he's built an infrastructure underground so that when you grab the weed, You'll pull the wheat. Number four. We're almost through. These last two go quick. Number four. The wisdom of waiting is the opiate of faith. Wisdom of waiting 
is the opiate of faith. What do I mean? This is, this is so true, especially in a time when it seems like time is so expensive. Because the trick is waiting it out. The master said to them, leave it alone, lest while trying to fix it, you make it worse. It was a setup. Weed cannot change wheat. So why did he plant it? He planted it to trick you and I into this impatience where you feel like you're running out of time and that you've got to do something. How many times have you and I ever felt pressured that we had to do something? Because we're running out of time. Running out of time. And we're in a time of this life where time is just expensive. Time is just passing by. The very fact that we are, we are where we are in the month of November, I'm like, what? Where has this year gone? You get a shut-off notice and, and you don't wait on God. You just become God. Calamity breaks out in your life. You don't wait on God to move. You don't wait on a Holy Ghost power. You don't wait on His anointing to be released to, 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 to destroy the yoke. You step in. Yet our faith is really expressed through silence. What am I trying to say? This is not your battle. The wisdom of waiting is the opiate of faith. The most expensive seed you can plant is time. See, we already said earlier, if you sow money, God's Word says you'll reap money. If you sow love, you'll reap love. If you sow forgiveness, you'll reap forgiveness. But see, if you sow time, you'll never see it again. The enemy has plagued you and I with an urgency that makes you want to take matters into your own hands. That's why the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait 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 so in other words he says leave it alone it's not that you're wrong in wanting to do something it's just that the timing isn't right if you pull it before it's before the wheat is harvested we will lose the whole harvest through the seduction of your frustration with the wheat Pay attention to how many times you are getting seduced by frustration. You, you, that should be a key right there. That every time you start recognizing yourself getting frustrated, the enemy is trying to seduce you into taking matters into your own hands. That should be your key. Be silent and do nothing. I said be silent and do nothing. You may be frustrated, you may be tired, you may be confused at how things got this way. You may be struggling to try to understand how things got this way, but the enemy is, is making you think you need to make a decision, but God is telling you don't make any decision, just stand still. God's not saying you're wrong, God's just saying it's not time.
Number five. I told you we'd get through this today. Number five. This is good. Number five, the final one. The harvest cannot be rushed by the need or even the angst of the planner. But it will come. It's inevitable. When you, when spring comes and we plant our garden, it doesn't matter how much angst and excitement you have for, to eat a tomato. It doesn't grow it any faster. The need of it doesn't grow it any faster. You can be all but going hungry, but it doesn't make that garden grow any quicker. God said, don't pull it before the harvest. He was saying that what is not lawful before the harvest is lawful in the time of harvest. That's why he said, if you pull it before the harvest, you will kill your destiny. But, the, but in the time of your harvest, where you have nothing to lose, the wheat coming up with the weeds won't matter because you're already bringing forth fruit. See, the harvest cannot be rushed by the need or even the angst of the planter, but it will come. You will come into harvest season. And what you couldn't deal with in this season, you will be able to deal with in the next season without damage to your harvest. Let me put it in a way you might understand. The people you cannot do anything about right now because the word is telling you do nothing, say nothing, it ain't time yet. God's saying what you cannot deal with in this season, don't lose your peace, don't allow yourself to get so frustrated because what you cannot deal with in this season, what is unlawful to deal with right now, he's saying is lawful in harvest season. In other words, if you pull up your, your, your weed now, if you try to deal with your problem now, you're going to corrupt your harvest. But he says, when, once you step into harvest season, and once you recognizing that it, there is fruit in your life, and that I'm at work in your life in a positive way, that gives you the grace and the ability to deal with the weed while reaping your harvest, and it won't matter. It, it, it won't abort your harvest by, by pulling the weed, by, by telling somebody about themselves, by removing the weeds from your life. It won't abort the harvest because the harvest is in an, it's inevitable. It will come. Am I making sense to you? It, 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 it was unlawful before it was harvest time. Be, before it ever went from seed to wheat to bread. Are you hearing me? Be, be, before the wheat ever gets the head on it, don't do anything with it. Because until it's ready to be harvested, that is when you and I get the grace to be able to deal with whatever's standing in opposition to you and I. Hallelujah. He said, when the harvest comes up, pull the wheat to be put in the barn. But he said, gather the weeds and put them in bundles to be burned. Now that in itself is an end time message that I am not going to take the time because we're out of it to be able to share with you. But th this parable is speaking to end times when everyone is in their own clique and when everyone is in their own group, when everyone is getting offended by everything. God's saying, I want you to gather all of those weeds, put them in a great big bundle to be burned. But he said, the wheat, gather it, bundle it, and bring it into the barn 
to be stored for harvest. The Lord is saying you and I are entering harvest season. And the reason you're frustrated and the, and the reason the weeds are so intolerable, the reason there are some things that are driving you absolutely crazy and insane, these are weeds that you may have ignored in your past, but they're driving you crazy right now. And the reason they're driving you so crazy, the reason there are some things that are irritating you more than they ever used to is because you are closer now to harvest than you've ever been. But I want to point out something that's really important to you as we prepare to close. The Bible says that if you sow in tears, you shall reap in joy. I want you to notice this. If you sow in tears, you shall reap in joy. There is no way to reap your harvest as long as you're frustrated. That's why the devil was trying to get on your nerves so badly. Because you cannot reap with sorrow. He says, you shall sow in tears, but you will reap with joy. God wants you and I to get our joy back. God needs you and I. This word should challenge you and recognize you need to snatch your joy back. You and I should be able to serve God and worship God with joy. We need to be able to, this word was not meant to make you feel defeated. This word was meant to liberate you from feeling the need to have to say something and do something to everything that is going wrong. This should liberate you and allow you to get your joy back, that this alleviates you from the responsibility of having to do something every time something goes wrong. Hallelujah. So you and I should find the audacity and the ability and the faith to just reach out and snatch our joy back. Snatch our joy back. Because he said, if, if you sow in tears, you shall reap in joy. The enemy has came in the midst of your harvest to try to get you so frustrated because it, the, the Bible says that you cannot reap in sorrow, but you can only reap in joy. So as long as the enemy keeps you frustrated, he knows you can't reap what God has intended to be yours. Are you starting to understand what I'm trying to tell you? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Timing is everything. Some of the attacks that are happening in your and I's life, some of the attacks that go on, some of the things that are happening in your life, the smartest thing is to do nothing. If the weeds wouldn't kill the wheat, if the weeds wouldn't kill the wheat, then the answer to the text has got to be that he has been trying to tempt them to uproot the wheat too soon. And while you're aiming at the weeds, the devil is after your wheat. You and I have been through too much to lose our wheat. See, the enemy can't curse you, but you can curse yourself. The enemy can't curse you, but your anger can curse yourself. Your temper can curse yourself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because you, if you sowed in sorrow, you will reap in joy. You cannot reap in anger. That's how the enemy gets you to curse yourself, to uproot your harvest by getting you and I to respond in anger. Boy, it got quiet in here. Your frustration can curse you. 
the enemy knew. The enemy knew the strongest weapon he had against the purpose of God was the people of God. Oh, that's good. The enemy knows that the strongest weapon he has against the purpose of God in your life is the people of God. This is why you've got to stop running from church people when they upset you. We're not perfect, but the enemy will use us. Because the enemy knows that the strongest weapon he has against the purpose of God in your life is the people of God. Do you know how many people watch us online and they refuse to come or they refuse to darken the door of a church with a local because a church hurt? Instead of understanding that the strongest weapon of the enemy. And so while you are trying to serve God from your comfy couch, you've played into the plan of the enemy. Because you are not allowing the purpose of God to be activated in your life. Because you've allowed the, what the enemy, the greatest weapon the enemy has against you to be used against you. You can sit there and worship from your couch and think that you're saying and shouting amen from home. But unless... I don't even have time to get to it. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together for the perfection of the saints. God can't perfect you, establish you, strengthen, and settle you unless you are among the brethren. So let me say it again. The strongest weapon the enemy has against you, against the purpose of God in your life, is the people of God. So the enemy is trying to fool you into making stupid decisions you must trust God to finish what he started trust him to finish what he started just because you and I are surrounded by weeds does not mean it is not going to happen I, I was going through some stuff this week personal and whatever and I won't even get into it but in the middle of it I had somebody nagging me and I was literally in the middle of a, a moment of mourning and my phone kept buzzing and they wanted something I just thought you weed you are even unaware that you are a weed answer the phone crying what's wrong with you I said what did you make ghost order call last week I mean but today as we close, I want to just pray. I want to pray that even if you didn't catch everything I said, I want to close in prayer and pray that you'll get the revelation of it after we leave. I want to pray that, that some of you would develop the patience to terrify the devil. Do you know how many times I, I know that people that work with me daily, they get frustrated because I, I don't make a decision or I don't often act as quickly as they want me to. It's just I've learned that patience terrifies the devil. And unless I have an absolute answer, do nothing. Do nothing. Unless I know that I know that I know, I do nothing. I do nothing. Because patience will terrify the devil. Why? Because he'll never know what you'll do next. And, and because it will terrify him because he, the enemy will learn, come to learn that what he does 
by planting the wheats and causing chaos around you, trying to, trying to, 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 to corrupt your environment, it no longer provokes a response. So it will terrify him. It will send him scurrying, wondering what you're going to do next, where he should be looking. Hallelujah. But we're just going to wait. Because the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll even walk and not become faint. So Father, I pray today for your people under the sound of my voice here and online. Father, help us to understand the word that timing is everything. Help us, God, to develop the the patience to terrify the devil. Help us, God, to develop the ability to not be moved by circumstance and situation, to not feel the need to always say something or to have the last word or to prove that we're right, but sometimes God's silence is what will get us to harvest. So, Father, I pray today that, Lord, you would allow the word over these last few weeks to teach us that timing is everything. There's a time to to plant and a time to pluck up. There's a time to live and a time to die. There's a, there's a time to grow and there's a time to harvest. There's a time for everything. God, help us to know the time and the season that we are in. God, help us to know that there's a time to admonish and a time to rebuke. Help us to know the time that we are in. Help us to know the time and the season that we are in. God, I do pray over your people that we would learn the power of doing and saying nothing. God, we would stop defending ourselves. That, Lord, we would, we would learn just the power of letting you be our defender, letting you go before us, Lord, and waiting until it's harvest season to deal with what needs to be dealt with, waiting to a point in life where I have the strength and the ability and the audacity, God, to be able to, to, to reap my harvest but also slay the enemy at the same time. So, God, help us to discern the season. God, I pray as we go through this week, and yes, Lord, as we celebrate and we give you thanks for everything, God, I pray that even as we assemble around people that provoke us, make us lose our mind and scream our peace, help us to have the power to do nothing. And by having the power to do nothing, maintaining our peace it allows me to see what harvest we 